We did light the peace candle today, and it is on peace that I will be focusing in this sermon. The passage that was read from Ephesians chapter 2 is about peace, peace between people who used to be disconnected and are now connected. We look at this passage, which talks about, in a sense, horizontal peace, peace between people who were formerly divided. And we notice at the very beginning of this passage, the first word is therefore. And every time you see a therefore in scripture, you have to ask yourself, what is that therefore there for? It always points before. So we would be um, wrong to look at this passage without looking at what the passage flows from, the ideas that the passage flows from, which are the um, ideas in verses 1 through 10. And those verses speak about the fact that we who are not of Jewish heritage, and some of you might be, but those of us who are not, were apart from the life of God. We were separated from the people of God. And we were, as it says here, without hope. We were, in verse 12, we were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But then the the Previous passage in Ephesians uh, 2, 1 through 10 tells us that because of Christ, we are not now separated. We are connected with God through Jesus Christ. We are uh, made sons and daughters of our God. And because of that, we are now connected with the Jewish people. We are connected with all the people of God and the work of Christ was for everyone. So when we look around, we need to see everyone as someone that God loves. The passage here as it begins in verses 11 through 13 tell us that there was a people of God and you were not part of this people. It says you are outside of the covenants of promise, the promises of God, the promise of God to be with you, the promise of God to take care of you, the promise of God to love you. But now because of Christ, we are brought into those promises. And I encourage you as you celebrate this beautiful season, the birth of our Savior, that you not so um, get caught up in the beauty of a baby born in a manger. The idea of that, remembering that a manger isn't all that beautiful a place to be placed. But as you look at that baby, as you consider our Savior who was born, do not forget that that baby was born to die. Born as the Son of God, taking on the fullness of humanity to die, taking the results of humanity's sins upon him and bearing the penalty that was ours to bear, but we couldn't do it. And he, in his grace, did. 
It is the blood of Christ that has brought us into relationship with God. And this is true of all humanity. Now we know that not all believe, but the gift is available for all who believe. The gift is available to anyone who would receive. So therefore, because of this vertical peace, peace between us and God, there should be a horizontal peace between us and others. And this comes from um, looking at people, viewing people as God does. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what Christ has done, we are reconciled to God. There is nothing you have done to earn this. There is even, the scripture says, even faith itself is a gift from God. So we must not boast. There is nothing to boast about except boasting in Christ, which is not about boasting about anything about yourself, but declaring the glories of Christ who saved us from our sinful state, our sinful state of being separated from God, foreigners and aliens from God. And this piece is, this horizontal piece that we are to demonstrate to the world is not forced implicitly or explicitly. Now, um, a lot of times churches will have a, a certain set of guidelines that you're supposed to live by, but that's pretty rare nowadays. But there are still are many implicit ways that we expect people to believe, to behave, to act within the church. Now, of course, we, we have the, the foundational belief of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us, but there are many other debatable issues. Even as we approach Scripture as the authoritative Word of God, we still have some things that we disagree upon. Now, there's probably no time in my lifetime that this has been more true and that we disagree than uh, 2020 in the presidential election, which seemed to be uh, the most divisive that I have seen. And I realized in uh, going through this election season that I serve a purple church. We are not a red church full of only Republicans, and we are not a blue church filled with only Democrats. And I've seen churches like that. And I must say, it probably is a whole lot easier to pastor that kind of church. We just sit around and agree with each other, not just about Jesus, but about politics. But we have here at Ridley Park Presbyterian Church a purple church. There are Republicans who are very dedicated to the life and ministry of this church. There are Democrats who are very um, dedicated to the life and ministry of this church. I, I hear you, and I see your posts, and I understand that there are those from very different political perspectives who make up 
this church. And to tell you the truth, as easy it might be, as it might be to all agree, I'm glad we don't. I'm glad to serve a purple church because it forces us to acknowledge that those differences, as important as those things might be to us, cannot divide us, and we must therefore do the work of listening to each other, of understanding each other. And we cannot fall into the trap that is a trap that so many fall into these days of listening only to the voices of our own tribe, listening only to the voices of those who agree with us because we are sisters and brothers in the church with those with whom we might disagree. But there's one huge caution here. If you find yourself believing more in your political hopes and dreams than you do in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is evidenced if you allow your politics to give you a sense of superiority or division from other sisters and brothers in Christ who disagree with your politics, then you have a serious problem because the our allegiance to Christ, our allegiance to the kingdom of God must be our first allegiance. And when that is, we know that we have the obligation to listen to sisters and brothers who are different from ourselves. I have told you before about one of my favorite professors in college. His name is awesome, E. Digby Baltzell. Talk about a professorial name. But he's the guy who, years ago, developed the term, coined the term WASP for white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. He was a, a sociologist. And E. Digby Baltzell, um, I, I was in his class, and he observed my friends and I. And he invited us over to his house because he was interested in how we got along. Because my friends and I were from all different countries, all different skin colors, all different nationalities. And we were friends and we shared a deep and abiding friendship because we were part of a Christian organization on campus. And this sociologist who is an expert in the field noticed that there was something very different about this group of people of which I was privileged to be a part and the rest of the people in, in large part. And that difference was that we were united by something so big that it created a unity even when we were very different. This was unusual, he said, and he was impressed. That's the kind of witness that we as believers should have in this world. Martin Luther King Jr. said that 11 o'clock Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in the week. And that may be true. It was definitely true in his day. And a lot of us wish that our churches were more integrated so that we would hear the voices of people from other countries, from other backgrounds, with different skin colors. But that seems to be an elusive goal, and I am in no way saying that we should give up on that goal. But in the meantime, until we can truly reflect the 
the diversity of the people of God uh, racially in our churches, there's another step, and that is to value those who are different, to value those whose skin color is different, to listen to their stories, to understand their relationship with God. And this goes beyond just skin color to nationality. We must value people who follow Jesus Christ in other countries and listen to them to find out how they are experiencing God in their lives and learn that maybe we too can experience God in a different way than what we've known. So many people seem to put their, their national pride and their Christian identity so close together that they fail to see the validity of Christian expression around the world. And I hope that you can avoid doing that. And Paul um, uses an architectural analogy here to talk about people who are different coming together. First, he mentions a wall, a dividing wall of hostility, a wall that was between us and God that has been torn down by Jesus Christ, a wall that was between different people groups that has been torn down by Jesus Christ. And then he uses a, a, a word that we looked at a couple weeks ago, the word cornerstone. And the, the word cornerstone is about the stone that is set at the corner of the building that brings the two walls together. And the cornerstone has to be perfectly at a right angle so that the walls come together well. And in this section of scripture, Paul is using the word cornerstone to tell us that two become one. The two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles who are in Christ, become one new people. And that was Christ's goal, it says here. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And if it is the goal of Jesus Christ, it should be our goal as well, to live at peace with those who are different than we are. One preacher, Mark Buchanan, said, a failure of unity among God's people reflects a refusal to be a part of the mission that God is doing in the world. Do you want to refuse to be part of God's mission in the world? We must no longer see people as we used to, but as those for whom Jesus Christ was born and for whom Jesus Christ died. Now, one of the beautiful things in Scripture that is lost if we don't understand some uh, language of the, in which it was written is um, the word shalom. And you've all, you've all heard the word shalom, and we love that it's sort of like aloha, that you can say shalom to say hello and shalom to say goodbye. But shalom is so much deeper, so much bigger than that. And the prophet um, Isaiah tells us a lot, gives us a lot of images of that shalom, and we often look at those during the Advent season. Cornelius Plantinga, who is a uh, well-known theologian, in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, sort of brought those images together and said it this way. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out. Rough places made plain. The foolish would be made wise, and the wise, humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, the mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease, and people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps. 
People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. And all nature would be fruitful, benign. Isn't that beautiful? Benign. In other words, no danger, no threat, no fear. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood, and all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, delight in God. Shouts of joy and recognition would well up from the valleys and seas, from women in the streets and from men on ships. Shalom is a beautiful picture. This word carries so much meaning. And this is the global shalom that Planninga is describing here. But there is also inter inner shalom, the sense of everything is right in the world. There is no threat. There is nothing that can harm me. Everything is good. And we have the opportunity to experience that shalom because we know that God will make all things right. God will make all things good. God will bring everything together in his kingdom. And we look forward to that. But we also can have that shalom, that sense of peace now because we know that the promises of God are true and reliable. We can put our full trust in those and therefore have a deep sense of peace even in the turmoil, even when surrounded by discord, when surrounded by things that threaten us because ultimately nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has brought us into relationship with God and into relationship with others and will one day bring everything under his feet.